0: Greetings and welcome to 5th In Mission, I'm Dominic Fracassa. After straining to the breaking point yet again following a surge of coronavirus cases, likely touched off by holiday travel, the rate of COVID-19 in hospitalizations appears to be leveling off across California. But is it too soon to start getting our hopes up? And when might we see the effects of the holidays on coronavirus numbers? Joining me now with the latest is Chronicle Health writer Aaron Alday. So, Aaron, first question: As I mentioned in the intro, is it too soon to start getting our hopes up about the positive trend uh, in coronavirus numbers in the state that we're seeing now?
1: It is definitely too soon. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'll. I want to. I want to put a first a, a little positive spin on it, though. I do think it's very encouraging that we're seeing the numbers. Um, kind of flatten a little bit. Um, encouraging because it does mean that 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 Thanksgiving, that post-Thanksgiving surge is, is behind us now. We're kind of past the worst of that, um, it looks like. And the other thing is most of the experts I talked to think that, you know, definitely shelter in place, that these kind of new uh, statewide stay-at-home orders are having a dampening effect. So what we're seeing is that that's you know, people staying inside, people not gathering together, people not, you know, kind of going out and and living their lives, that that is having an effect. We are seeing the numbers get pushed down um a little bit because of um because of those orders so that's you know that's encouraging it means that these things are are helping um but you know the big kind of question out there is what we'll see after christmas and after new years and i don't think anybody is expecting that we won't see a pretty big bump in cases and hospitalizations again from christmas and new years so you know we're definitely not past the worst of it yet
0: so where are we at right now? I guess let's just focus on the Bay Area for a moment. Um, in terms of uh, uh, overall hospitalizations, we're seeing, I think, as the governor described, uh, as a plateau right now. So so that means that just a, the, the surge that we saw in Thanksgiving, as you mentioned, does appear to be behind us. I, I guess my question is: Is there another one that that could be around the corner as we sort of get through, uh, you know, the, the Christmas season, if you will, and into New Year's?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, you know, first things first, I mean, I would say that we're not quite at a plateau yet. Um, You know, Bay Area hospital and ICU numbers do actually look fairly, especially the ICU numbers, look very flat. So for the last uh, few days, we've had, you know, pretty pretty much within the same range of like plus or minus five um, you know people in the ICU across the Bay Area for the last week or so Um, I will say I mean the California numbers are definitely still climbing the statewide numbers and the the Bay Area overall hospital numbers are definitely still climbing the difference is that they're not climbing at as fast of a rate as they had been a couple weeks ago so you know before they were increasing like 25 50 percent every single week and now they're sort of down to you know say 10 percent I haven't done the exact number crunching so please don't hold me to that. But the point is that we're not seeing that really sharp kind of increase spike upwards that we had been. So they're kind of They're not plateauing yet, but they're they're you know, look like they could be headed in that direction. And if we didn't have Christmas and New Year's, I think everybody would be saying, you know, starting to kind of breathe that sigh of relief. You know, maybe we're about we're about to peak out and then we'll be kind of going down on the other side. The problem is that we're seeing this sort of slowing down. But everybody knows that, you know, in another 10 to 20 days, we're going to see those numbers in the hospitals and ICU pick up probably pretty sharply again with with all this post holiday uh, gathering.
0: So, Aaron, Tuesday marks the earliest date that the Southern California and San Joaquin Valley regions could potentially exit the restrictions imposed upon them by the state's latest stay home orders. As we look to those regions in particular, have state leaders given us any signal about whether those orders might be extended for them or whether they might be relaxed?
1: So the the governor said uh, this week that that they they will be i mean they will definitely be extending those orders um i will say that you know the the stay at home orders are you know the, the order is that they be in place for at least 3 weeks so any region that falls under you know the state mandate will be under a stay-at-home order for a minimum of, of three weeks. But in order to be allowed out from under the order, they have to be at not only do they have to be at 15% intensive care co- availability, so 15% of their ICU beds have to be available. The out like the forecast the state is doing these kind of models of what what they anticipate hospitalizations will look like a month out, and their their forecast has to be to that they'll be at 15% or better you know, for another month. So these two regions in particular are both at zero and they've been at 0% availability. So they have no beds, you know, no ICU beds available basically for like a week and a half now. So they're they're not get coming out from under this stay- at home order anytime soon. They'll be they'll be under it for a while yet. Um, the governor did say that um, this week he'll be kind of releasing new forecasts for those regions to hopefully give people at least somewhat of an idea of how much longer the order might be in place for. So I think most folks seem to think it, we're looking at end of January, at least for those two regions to to be out from under that order.
0: I want to take just a, a moment to talk about something that uh, I, I find a little bit confusing when it comes to these state numbers, and and that is this zero percent ICU capacity. You know, it doesn't seem quite so simple to say that you know there's just no no beds available. Can can you can you break down what the state means uh, when it when it talks about zero percent ICU availability?
1: Yeah, it's pretty confusing honestly. Um and it's and it can be kind of it can actually be real hard to get clear answers on it. Um I mean the complicated answer is that the state actually uses a very complex sort of algorithm to come up with that number that's based on I won't bore you with it, but it's based on a whole bunch of different factors that they actually put, you know, into an equation to come up with that percentage. But in just kind of the most simple lay terms, you know, every hospital has a certain number of intensive care beds that are licensed by the state. You have to get, you know, the state licenses your intensive care beds and you have to have the the staff and the equipment for that bed to be deemed, you know, appropriate for intensive care. Um, and but but each of these hospitals also has, you know, systems in place and they have these in place all the time for the flu season, for, you know, a busy summer season, if they get, you know, a lot of car accidents or something. So beds that can be kind of Used for so-called surge capacity, where they they put patients if they do run out of room with these licensed um, ICU beds. So what this zero percent means is that they've essentially used up all of their their licensed beds, and they're now into this this surge kind of ICU capacity. So and and it means that I mean and it varies a lot from hospital to hospital. So in in Southern California, you have some hospitals that are. I think they're like 200%, you know, over their ICU um capacity. So they've like they're doubling up patients in rooms. They have, you know, patients in the emergency room that are being getting uh, intensive care um, you know, level of care and we're seeing this, you know, kind of across the region in in Southern California and in the San Joaquin Valley, but that doesn't, you know, some of those hospitals may have a few beds. Um and so it's it's not necessarily saying that every single hospital is is at 0%, it just means for the whole region that there are enough of those beds that are those hospitals that are over capacity that it sort of takes away from the the total number for the region. And that's the same for the state. So, it gets really confusing with the state because right now the the California Department of Public Health keeps telling us that we're at 0% availability for ICU beds in the entire state of California. And we know that's not true because we know that the Bay Area, for example, has, you know, a fair amount of ICU beds still available. We're worried about it. We're worried about the strain, but we definitely have ICU beds available. What that means is just that so many hospitals in these hard hit parts of the state are so far over capacity that it's it's eating into the the statewide kind of technical availability. Does that make any sense? <laughs>
0: I think, it. yeah, that's actually really helpful. In other words, maybe just to put it crudely, it is a, a relative figure that's dependent on a lot of different factors, not just the number of available beds in the state. Correct. Yeah, yeah, correct. That's helpful even for a uh, humanities major like myself, Aaron. Thank you very much. <laughs> Why don't we take a quick break right now? We'll come right back to talk more with Aaron all day on Fifth and Mission after this. You can support Fifth Admission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. So, Aaron, we are now, uh, if you can believe it, uh, we are running up against the one-year anniversary of the first cases being identified in China. In fact, it was just about a year ago that China's health department put out their first public report about the virus, surreal as it is. I mean, do you remember what those early times were like? I mean, you're the Chronicles health reporter, as I've mentioned. I mean, do you remember when this sort of started to to flicker on your radar?
1: Yeah. So I actually remember reading that first report. Um, I follow a couple of um, of blogs that just sort of pay attention to, to, we call them, call them emerging infectious diseases. So when, you know, you have a new disease that sort of pops up and, you know, a whole bunch of people show up infected and they don't know what's causing it, everybody's kind of goes on high alert, you know, is this going to be, uh, you know, the next, the next pandemic? And, you know, those things come up all the time and most of the time they're just nothing, you know, either we find the cause or it's just some random thing that just sort of pops up and fades away. Um, but I I definitely remember reading this because it was – I'm actually looking at the report right now. I have it pulled up on my screen. And um, it was 27 cases of a severe pneumonia um, with no identified cause. Um, and – you know that on its own wouldn't have gotten my attention necessarily. I'm I'm not you know an expert in any of this stuff. What what did get my attention is that the blogs that I follow, the people that I follow, were immediately wondering about SARS, um, severe acute uh, respiratory syndrome, which you know most of us were aware of had had kind of swept across the globe back in the early 2000s, um, and just the fact that all of these sort of you know, pandemic infectious disease experts were thinking SARS, that that was pinging them. That definitely made me kind of pay attention. Um, that being said, I don't think it really sort of, I, I, was, I was reading it, you know, I was looking at the blogs, I was kind of curious, but um, it didn't really strike me as something that notable until I think the CDC kind of issued the first travel advisories, um, travel restrictions in the United States and and really kind of warning people about it. And then, you know, we, we've all been along for the ride since then.
0: Yeah, I remember myself the first time sort of the first time I remember being aware of it was shortly before um, San Francisco, the city that I was covering previously, they the, the city sort of said, look, we're going to get emergency operations just kind of pooled. You know, it was them saying, look, we're just going to get things ready because we're probably going to get a case. You know, there were lots of um, lots of uh, flights at that time coming to and from, you know, the region of China where where the cases we, you, are believed to have originated. And so there was some concern. But I remember just all of us packed into a tiny room, all the reporters and all the medical people <laughs> and the mayor herself of San Francisco, London Breed, just sort of shoulder to shoulder, elbow to elbow to talk about this thing. And it just seems surreal. Uh, given what we know now. So what do you think? Maybe just take two things, Aaron, if you would. Like, if you think back to a year ago and, you know, obviously the, the, people that you're plugged into, the experts that you're aware of and that are on your radar, some, something sounded the alarm bells for them. But I mean, like, what do you, what do you, if you look back a year ago, what do you think the biggest sort of learnings are about this? Um, I know there's a million things we could probably talk about, but what are some of the things that jump out about what, what we knew, you know, December 28th of last year and, and what we know about a year later?
1: Well, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, there's a couple of, of really big lessons, I think, Probably, the most important thing is just how much we need to kind of better fund and better support support both our public health infrastructures and our our structures for you know identifying um and surveying for the next you know infectious disease um you know we need to be able to identify these new infections just it, as quickly as possible. The thing with this this virus it was so you know the experts I talk to that that say it's made it so difficult to contain is this this asymptomatic and presymptomatic mm-hmm. spread, right? so by the by the time you identify it in an individual and by the time you identify it in a community, it's already been spreading, you know it's already gone pretty far and and it's kind of not quite out of control but but you know it's it's almost too late and that was definitely the case, you know, with this virus um by the time we had sort of everybody on board looking for this, being appropriately concerned about it, it was probably already spreading, you know, fairly widely in our communities. Um, and so I think that, that that tells us a lot about needing that sort of, again, that that infrastructure in place to be able to survey for for these, to be able to look for these viruses and, you know, in this case also test. Like we really needed to get that testing up and running you know, right out of the gate. Um, and we really flubbed that. That was a huge mistake. And then, you know, once it was here, just having the sort of well-funded, you know, well-armed public health departments that can, you know, respond quickly with the contact tracing and putting up these sort of testing and vaccine programs and all that, um, you know, we really kind of had to build that up on the go. And I think that that, that was a big that's been a big problem for us you know all throughout you know the other lessons are are more about kind of our handling of this particular pandemic i don't it's hard to say how much of that we can carry forward right like the political politicization of this um kind of the the difficulty in getting appropriate messaging out to out to the public you know the confusion around masks and and all the pushback in different communities not getting everybody kind of on the same page without a respond you know there's been a lot of really big problems there i don't know I don't know exactly what the lessons are from that just yet, but I know that this, I mean, there's there's going to be a lot that, that we study on this. This is going to be something that that our epidemiologists and all of our, our public health experts will be learning from for, I'm sure, decades, if not centuries to come.
0: Well, Aaron, this podcast is now part of that history. So thank you so very much for uh, for joining us today. <laughs> really appreciate the time.
1: Thanks for having me, Dom. Happy holiday.
0: Happy holidays to you. Our thanks again to Aaron Alday for joining us today, to Karen Creighton for producing this episode, and of course, thanks to you for listening. Until next time.